Unsatisfied with the advice and guidance received from a dietitian, my guest Sally decided the only way to take control of her health conditions was to become a dietitian herself. We talk about diet, diabetes, celiac disease and infertility. I'm your host Dashanka and you're listening to That Was The Moment I Became A Dietitian To Save My Life. My guest today is Sally Marchini. As a scientific advisory board member and member of the Early Life Nutritional Alliance, Sally is recognized as a leader in early life nutrition. Sally speaks internationally, training other dietitians on clinical issues related to fertility, pregnancy, and postpartum. Sally still has a special interest in all cases of T1DM, celiac disease, and other women's Sally still has a special interest in all cases of T1DM, celiac disease, and other women's health issues due to her own personal experience. Thank you so much for being with me today, Sally. That's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Could you tell us what life was like before your moment? Before my moment, yes. So I developed type 1 diabetes when I was a child. That's the T1DM thing. Um, so type 1 diabetes... I developed age 12 and I was told that I uh, wouldn't live past the age of 40. I'm now 58. I just went for it in my youth because I thought I was going to die young. So I had a great youth. And then, (laughs) uh, and as it turned out, I ended up working um, in Europe in marketing and public relations in business. Then um, I had a child and then after the child um, I was diagnosed with celiac disease on top of the type 1 diabetes and that was the moment that changed my life that diagnosis of celiac disease on top of the type 1 diabetes because in fact it's really difficult to manage the two conditions at the same time. I saw a dietitian who was overwhelmed with the fact of combining these two chronic health conditions and so I sort of came to the decision that maybe for my own health it would be worth studying to be a dietitian so that I could understand lots of complex chronic health conditions and understand how to combine different ones because so many people have more than one it's not unusual how old were you when you were diagnosed with the um, celiac disease so I had my child about 35 so I guess I was about 38 oh wow and so okay so first of all you're diagnosed with t1dms what was so worrying about having um t1dm at 12 what was the well 12 is a sort of a a common age that people are diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and in type 1 diabetes your body just it's an autoimmune condition so your body just stops making insulin so therefore you have to provide you have to learn how to give yourself insulin which is a class a drug every time you have to have like basal insulin for your day-to-day work and then you have to have insulin every time you eat carbohydrate containing foods and you have to have less insulin if you're exercising you have to have more for if you're sick or whatever it's, it's very complex to learn how much insulin to give yourself and back when i was diagnosed it was only by injection so i was um, at one point having six injections a day 
So it's it's complex. It's a it's a difficult disease, and many kids are born with it, get it aged two or a few months old, and you know for their parents it's really hard. I was twelve, fortunately, so I was old enough to take stuff on board and learn to give myself injections because it freaked my mother out having to give me injections, you know. And, and it differs to type 2 diabetes because your body just, it's got nothing to do with you haven't done anything wrong. It's an autoimmune condition. I'm not saying that people with type 2 have done anything wrong either, but um, it's a different sort of condition that comes on more slowly, the type 2 diabetes. Yeah, and... Yeah, but I know you said that you, you feel a bit lucky having gotten it at 12, but that sounds like a lot to be dealing with at 12. And, you know, you're yeah, just... Yeah, children are very going. resilient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, if you and don't so, know any different, you deal with it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so when you then um, were diagnosed with celiac disease, what were the kind of counter, I guess, counteractions between the two that were were so serious. So celiac disease requires a strict gluten-free diet and with diabetes you're trying to manage your blood glucose levels and having um, gluten-free bread for example or gluten-free alternatives to the normal wheat brands of types of foods that you would have um, causes your blood glucose levels to rise more steeply which is harder to manage. So you get what they used to call brittle diabetes. So your blood glucose levels go like this. It's a roller coaster. Okay. And yeah, so in order to manage that better, you have to really understand your diet very closely as to how to stop that happening. Oh, wow. It sounds, yeah, it sounds like a lot. It sounds like looking at every single thing you ate and being quite strict on yourself. Yeah, it doesn't mean that you have to be really strict on yourself all the time, but, if, you know, if you want to be healthy and live a long life, it's in your own interest to do what you can. Yeah. Because it's unhealthy to have really high, like I'm talking, not that the numbers will mean a whole lot, but... It, if, if you think that a, um, a good blood glucose level reading is around 5, you know, they can go up to above 20 on occasions. And then if they go down below 2 or 3, you're, you, that's called a hypo. Your brain needs glucose to work. So one, your brain doesn't work. Two, you get really sweaty. And three, you run the risk of just conking out altogether. And that's... Mm. A coma which happened to me when I was pregnant in fact I didn't know about pregnancy back then I wasn't doing what I'm doing now because now I specialize in fertility and pregnancy as a dietitian but yeah in the first trimester in every person one doesn't need as much insulin in the first trimester when you're a person with type 1 diabetes you're providing your own insulin and if you have your normal amount of insulin, it's too much. And so that caused me to go into a really low hypo, which conked me out and my husband freaked out. And we were living on on the top of a um, cliff top in overlooking the Atlantic Ocean in Cornwall. 
and there was no doctors anywhere near us. And he had he knew that if it happened, he had the tools to deal with it. But it takes twenty minutes once you inject the the medication to bring the person around. And he'd just given up smoking, so he was freaking out, and he didn't know. Oh, he so that actually he said you're not having children again after that, which is a shame because I would have liked to. So was that putting both you and the baby at risk? Well, that's what he was worried. He thought he was going to lose both of us, but yeah. we were both fine. Oh, that's oh wow, yeah, that must have been such a terrifying moment yeah. for him. But a lot of like it's common for little kids to have these hypos and die, which is why parents. It's so hard for parents of. Yeah small children who are diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. I mean, they they spend their lives watching blood glucose levels. If you're a parent of a child and you see your child's at school and you see their blood glucose level rising, you're like, oh, they need some insulin. And so then you've got to ring the teacher, quick, do you need some insulin? <laughs> you know, things wow. like that. Or they see it dropping and they're, oh, she's having a hypo, quick, beat her. <laughs> That's great that you now have the technology to do that, but... Yeah, now we didn't have it back then. Yeah. Mm. Um, Okay, so you've you've had this scary diagnosis, a second scary diagnosis, and what led you... And you then decided to become a dietitian. So that was the moment that changed my life, getting diagnosed with the celiac disease on top of the type 1, and I saw a healthcare professional, and they weren't able to help me. And so I thought, well, I'm going to study to be a dietitian. And I now have a completely different life and I love it. It's fantastic. I'm helping people and it's really great. That's amazing. You said earlier that you're now helping um, other pregnant women as well. So I work with this Early Life Nutrition Alliance and we teach dietitians around the world. We do two courses each year. One's nutrition therapy for fertility. But not many people realise that about 20% of couples these days have to go through IVF to have a child. And yet, if they were to see a fertility dietitian, such as myself or one of the other certified fertility dietitians that we train, they could improve their chances by about 70%. It depends on what, why they're not getting pregnant. The diet just plays such a huge role. And as long as it's not a mechanical issue, then there's a good chance it can be helped by diet. So we yeah. look at diet and supplementation and making sure that the person has all the nutrients they need all based on the evidence that we know of. Those are really, like 20% 20 is such a large percentage of the population. Um, And to think that, you know, it's something that, you know, like can be helped. People who have chronic health conditions, like for example, diabetes and celiac disease, just because I have it, so I'll mention it. But, um, and you know, things like PCOS and endometriosis, who people have been told they're going to have trouble having babies, but there's so much they can do just from a diet and lifestyle perspective. And, of course, we look at it holistically, the whole person, what their life is like and their diet specifically. 
I have um, special software that breaks the diet down into actual micronutrients so I can see what their diet looks like at a micronutrient level and top up, say, right, you need to eat some, uh, I need you to eat two walnut, two Brazil nuts every day because your selenium's really low, things like that. And we can talk about various um, ways of controlling things. For example, if someone has diabetes, keeping their blood glucose level as stable as possible because it's the fluctuations that can cause issues in the health of the child and the gut microbiome of the parent, making sure that's in order as well. And often, it's, you know, of course, it's not just the woman when it comes to fertility, it's also the male. So looking at the semen quality of the male, because that can be improved a lot with diet. And in fact, there was an interesting study just come out about a month ago, I think, where, because um, we, we often look at fetal alcoholic syndrome, mm-hmm. so where if, if they've always said if, if the mother is drinking before and during the pregnancy, that it can have terrible outcomes on the child. But now they've shown that it's also the father drinking before conception that can cause it. So that's just a new thought altogether. So we're getting a, a lot more research out and lot, so many things can affect so many things. <laughs> How else are you helping women um, with their different health issues? What other issues do you look at? Well, so pregnancy then brings on a whole new set of complications. And there's a really nice story that we like to tell. It's about the, um, well, it's not really a nice story, but it's a story about, about the Dutch winter famine in 1944, where the Germans had cut off the food supply to the Netherlands for six months over the winter, and 20,000 people died of starvation. And so during that period of time, there were um, babies in utero, and when the famine was over, they were able to do a study on those babies and track them through their life to see what their health outcomes were like. And compared with other babies, their children, people their age, uh, they suffered really high rates of obesity, type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, um, schizophrenia, and they died 10 years younger than other people their age because their their genes were programmed. It's called epigenetics. Mm -hmm. And it shows how the diet before the conception and during the pregnancy changes the the health outcomes of the child. And people don't always think about things like that. How long have you been working in the nutritional field for then? Well, I graduated 12 years ago. And then since then, I haven't stopped learning. As a dietitian, we're meant to do 30 hours of continuing professional development a year. And I do closer to 300, I reckon. I'm just, there's so much to learn. It's mind blowing. It's just, I reckon university just teaches you how to learn. (laughs) And then from there, it's never ending, Um, Uh, which I love. Yeah. It's, It's making me feel younger than I did. It's making my brain active. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's amazing. And so what does life look like for you now? You said that, you know, going down this path, you love the life that you're living now. What does that, mm. what does it look like since your moment? Well, I had the complete change of career. I learned how to look after my own health as well as helping other people. So I have that satisfaction of helping other people to achieve their health goals. Um, and then, and, and I know what to do about my own health as well. So I intend to live as long as a normal human being does live rather than the 40 years I was given when I was age 12. Was that just like constantly hanging over your head? I don't think, I think that it was very irresponsible of the doctors who said that back then. I mean, I, they should never say things like that to a child. And my mother, my poor mother. Yeah. And they were wrong because it all changed. Why would you say something negative like that to someone? Like they yeah. tell people with PCOS and endometriosis that they may never be able to have a child. Well, that's just not the case. There's so much that can be done. There's um, a really great video on YouTube. I'm going to forget who the woman is now. Um, oh, Dr. Lisa Rankin. That's it. Oh, mm. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Dr. Lisa Rankin. And she talks about the placebo and nocebo effect. And it is crazy how much power um, health professionals, specifically doctors, have on a patient's uh, health and um, recovery. And if you tell someone they're going to die within three months, guess what? They do because you've given them no hope. So I try to be really positive with all of my clients. I always talk about what they can eat and what they need to add into their diets and, you know, that that sort of approach. Yeah, looking at the positives as opposed to the restrictions yeah. and the, exactly. the things you can't have because then you want them all. <laughs> and, and there's so much, even though, you know, with celiac disease you can't have anything containing gluten, there's so many delicious things that you can have. You just have to sort of have a bit of a learning curve which is how I help them with the learning curve. So is there any advice that you would give to someone that might be listening that, you know, um, is, you know, going through something similar? Maybe they maybe they have type 1 diabetes or celiac disease or, or have problems with fertility. You know, what kind, kind of advice would you give them? Call me for a chat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to, to chat with people. Yeah. Just send me a message and I'll arrange a chat with you and we'll work out what's going to be best for you. I'll be adding all your details to the show notes as well. So if anyone wants to get in touch, they, they know exactly how to find you. Thank you. If you could be remembered by one word, what would that word be? Love. Why did you choose love? Oh, cause I've got too much of it. Fancy, <laughs> oh. <laughs> look, you're making me cry now. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just love people and I want to help everyone. That's amazing. Um, I can, I can definitely see how much passion you have behind this. Um, thank you so much for, uh, giving me your time today and, um, you know, sharing your knowledge. I'm sure, you know, this is going to be an amazing help to someone out there listening. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. I really appreciate you talking to me as well. Thanks Tushanka. Thanks so much for listening. I hope today's conversation inspires and empowers you to know that no matter your current situation, your life can change too. All it takes is a moment. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share it with a friend. 
If you would like to share your own moment, see the link in the show notes. Until next time, be present in each moment because you never know when your moment will arrive or when you have the gift of being a moment for someone else. Take care.